to Johnny B and Emma. It's Monday the 21st of November and this is Game On. Coming up today, while off the pitch, the focus has been on armbands, anthems and access to stadiums. We do finally have some World Cup football to discuss. The set up Shaw, here comes the cross, Bellingham's glancing header. And right on cue, Jude Bellingham with his first England goal. Beautifully guided beyond the substitute goalkeeper, Hosseini. And England's pressure pays off a landmark moment for this precociously talented 19-year-old. His 18th cap, his first England goal. More on all today's action with Paul Carey and Rebecca Cray, who are in studio. Plus, we'll check in with Tony O'Donoghue in Qatar. And in rugby, we have Stephen Ferris on the line to talk about the world's informed team. Nick White sweeps it away to the left-hand side, Bernard Foley. That ball is knocked forward here by an Australian. It's back with Craig Casey. He hammers it into touch on the far side of the pitch. The referee has blown the whistle. The game was in the melting pot right until the very last kick of the game by Craig Casey. And it's turned into one here by 13 points to 10. We'll also have €400 Euro to give away every day this week as we start our build-up to the PwC Camogie All-Stars. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn2FM. Well, Marie, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Monday, the World Cup has started. My Christmas tree is up. I mean... Your Christmas tree is up in November? Yeah. You did say that live on national radio. I know, and it is up. My God. I put it up last night when I was watching the Ireland Malta game. And you from the country, like? What about the, the 8th of December? on Friday. What about the 8th of December? The toy show's on Friday. Oh, my God. Are you putting the tree up for the toy show? The 8th of December, Marie. Oh, you're so mean. No, I'm not mean. It's tradition, tradition, Marie. It's tradition. I, I hope yours is a fake one. Like, oh, I will be, I what kind of a tree are you going to have by, the, by, by Christmas? Like? <laughs> it is a fake one. So we were sitting down watching the Malta game. The lads were out playing soccer and tree was up it was a bit random alright <laughs> I'd say it's fairly random <laughs> so it is anyway we're here to talk sport not Christmas trees <laughs> Christmas trees and World Cup That's World the, Cup the it's all World Cup but there was more than World Cup the weekend now. before the World Cup started lots and lots of things happened and it was a big weekend in golf Rory McIlroy mm-hmm. won his fourth DP World Tour crown in Dubai he didn't have to win the competition but he still won the DP World Tour which is caps an amazing year for him and winning the FedEx and world number one it's been some year for him Do you know what I was looking at him yesterday and he was doing his interviews and I just thought he looks absolutely great like he just looks so relaxed he looks so fit so content now obviously he's after getting a load of money so that probably helps but I just thought he looks he looks brilliant like maybe because for the last while if you've just seen him when things haven't been going his way and he's looked pained and emotional or angry because of Liv but I just thought God he looks he looks like he's in a really good place well, Why wouldn't he be? I mean it's been an incredible <laughs> few months for him um, I don't think the cost of living crisis was ever going to affect Rory McIlroy but yeah, look success wise and success brings mm. contentment to sports people and it's been a very successful 2022 for Rory McIlroy even if he hasn't won a major still to get himself back to world number one win the FedEx win the DP World Tour I'd say he is looking forward to Christmas and he's entitled to yeah and look he's got a family now life has changed for him his priorities have probably changed as well he's, I'm sure he's got more perspective on life you know you talk about the money thing and, and I'll always remember when he was talking about Liv and he said look even if I had all that extra money he'd still live in the same four rooms in my house and he's very right he most certainly is but there's another fella who's made a good few quid this year and more power to him is Seamus Power he only finished tight eight last night four back in the RMS, RSM classic even but it's been an incredible 
I wouldn't say breakthrough year, but it's been an incredible season for him as well. And it's wonderful to have so many Irish golfers playing at the top around the world. And that's before we get to Leona. Yeah, she is absolutely amazing. She was um, in a tie for the lead yesterday for actually quite a lot of it at the CM, what was it called, Ruby? CME Group Tour Championship in Florida. And came ever so close to winning two million. So she's had to settle for a second half a million. Not so bad either. You'd take it on the... At the end of November, Marie, wouldn't you? Oh, you absolutely would. And the taking January, February, March, yeah. April, May, you take it any month of the year. <laughs> the, the great thing as well, like, and and look, I know it's probably a, like a bit shallow to be saying, but like she's she's in women's golf now at a time when it's going in one direction, and the prize money all around the game is going to just go up and up and up and she's right there in the thick of it she's going to benefit from all from it all and she's obviously doing her bit to promote the sport as well but it's just brilliant for her to know that if she keeps doing what she's doing she's going to have a career that will sustain her for the rest of her life and that Ruby is such a rare thing in women's sport that Marie is a rare thing in lots of sports True. and most certainly is in women's sports but um, look more power to her and mm-hmm. she deserves every penny that she earns and she's an incredible talent and it's great to see her doing so well that was golf racing we going, oh, right, go racing yeah <laughs> I saw you on the telly yesterday it was freezing a bunch of them that was a good day you looked freezing but the racing looked good yeah it was good racing um, Stateman won the Morgiana hurdle and did he put himself in the champion hurdle picture? Yeah, he probably did. I mean, he won't have to take on Honeysuckle. She'd run in Fairy House in a fortnight in the Hatton's Grace hurdle, and then he'd be able to go to Leperstown at Christmas for the Matheson hurdle in the 29th. So, you know, that's a good season for any horse if they can win two grade ones in the year. So, by the turn of the year, Marie, you'd be hoping Stateman will have more than paid his way for connections. But it was a good performance yesterday. He's first run out in Office Company, and he beat Charge and Saldier. Chess is, um, Chess is, oh. No meets horse was for Jesse Owens. I was going to say, Stephanie I love Jesse the way Owens. You, you kind of look at me when you're searching for, for inspiration, and I haven't got a clue. Like you couldn't be looking at a worse person than trying to find the, the word for you. Jesse Evans um, back and forth but look it was a good day all told um, Delta work won the cross country race um, it was great to see Darren's hope for Robert Murphy winning the Florida Pearl Chase Robert Murphy has probably three horses in training maybe so it was wonderful for him to come to Punchestown and down some of the big guns there and it got the re- he got the reception he deserved with a wonderful mare so yeah look that was great racing in Punchestown obviously in Haydock at Plutar blew out we did have Dan Skelton on Game On last Tuesday and he was telling us how happy he was with Protector at and how ready he was. I know I most certainly didn't listen because I couldn't see our Plutar being beaten, but um, Dan was spot on and Protector at was spectacular, although our Plutar never showed up. Looked Why like he didn't be? get off the boat. What, what, I, I just had seen earlier that um, Henry de Bromhead couldn't really find an obvious reason for the disappointing showing. No, and I mean, you looked at him in the parade ring or in the parade beforehand, he looked so well, he looked alive, alert, energetic, yet when they cantered down the track and Haydock turned around at the start, and by the time they came back up, he was never gone. He never, ever, he never, Rachel Blackmore never looked happy on him to me. He didn't jump the way he can jump, he didn't travel. He, like, from the time they jumped off, you would have thought Protectorat was the odds on favourite, not a Plutar, um, for whatever reason. But look, horses are unfortunately are not motor cars. You can't just put these, lend them and turn them on. What about Constitution Hill? That's all the, the, I don't know, lots of people giving out. And look, people are giving out because the ground is good to soft and why wouldn't he run um, I think the only 
point for me. Not as much given out, but I, I just think Nicky Henderson probably used the wrong language when he was describing why he didn't run Constitution Hill. The ground at Ascot wasn't suitable for Constitution Hill, which I perfectly understand. Horses are no different to any athlete, and at this time of the year, when they're a bit heavier, not quite as fit as they would be by Christmas or as fit as they'll be in January, you do need sore, slower, softer ground for heavier horses. So I can understand why Nicky Henderson didn't run Constitution Hill, why Alan King didn't run Edward Stone or Venetia Williams Long Presse. But just Nicky's probably terminology wasn't great. Um, there was lots of horses that the ground in Ascot did suit. It wasn't dangerous. It was unsuitable. Um, and I just think he probably used the wrong words at the wrong time and didn't explain himself as well as he could have but look when you're flustered lots of people don't explain things mm, the way they should true absolutely um, anything else uh, anything else Queensbrook was very good midnight run um, few novices yeah it was, it was great racing and it builds to next weekend you've got the Coral Trophy in, or the Coral Gold Cup even is it Coral now I think it is it used to be the Hennessy Marie we'll just stick with the old Hennessy at least they never changed the name of the World Cup it's always the World Cup they're forever changing the name Jason of races sponsors are right though <laughs> yeah and that's what happens here but the Hennessy in Newbury you've got the Tritown in Navin and then it builds of course the Honeysuckle and the Hatton's Grace in a fortnight's time so yeah the racing is good just could do it more rain more moisture in the ground to slow it all down a bit for everybody really is that that's a, an issue is it it is and especially after such a dry summer and it's it's a difficult thing to explain but because of the way we're getting rainfall at the moment we're getting huge showers but huge showers on the hard ground or quick ground lots of it just runs off into all the drains whereas we got more prolonged drizzly slow rain it would seep into the ground put the moisture contact content into the ground rise the water table and the ground will get slow it'll happen <laughs> it'll happen Paul Corey and Rebecca Cray are here in studio across from me and they're they're looking now, raising their eyebrows, thinking, what is he uh, going on about? Bamboozle me there. Yeah, bamboozle, <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> bamboozle everyone, bamboozle everyone. I think that's probably something uh, you've never thought about as a footballer, Paul Corey, the type of rain that's uh, affecting your pitch. No, it's not. Sometimes I look at sport now and think I should have played cricket. When it rains, you go <laughs> in and have a cup of tea. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, so I think most people anyway who were uh, at home today tuned into the World Cup most people who've, who had made the decision uh, to watch it and uh, were I'd say entertained by England anyway Paul Coria 6-2 win over Iran and widespread scorers overall were you impressed? Yeah I was um, it was a very entertaining game where you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with just the, the number of chances and I guess the number of goals being the, the obvious point but I thought it was it was a very solid performance from, from England um, you know if you take away the opposition that they that they were up against today, I thought the pace and the tempo which they played was very promising. You could see little bits of patterns in in the front three that are supporting Harry Kane that you would look and say, okay, they are very good signs. They obviously haven't had a number of friendlies to warm up for these, but the uh, the patterns of play were certainly there. Um, the midfield too were very strong. Thought Declan Rice protected the back four in particular in the first half particularly well, and then much of of the headlines is going to be a bit Jude Bellingham. Um, I thought he was shaky for the first 15, 20 minutes. There was one instance in particular where he controlled the ball on the edge of his box and it kind of bobbled up and it got away from him. But he then he started to kind of grow into the game. He got mm -hmm. a few touches and the goal was superbly put away. And that's probably one thing that he's he's developed in his game this year. And what has people speaking about him a bit more is his, his timing of runs into the box. It was a really good ball by Luke Shaw and, uh, and a superb finish. And they kind of kicked on from there. I thought Saka was excellent on the wing a uh, very brave decision from Southgate to start him ahead of Foden another brave decision to start Sterling who hasn't been in fantastic form for Chelsea and it all paid dividends for Gareth Southgate um, many good signs and maybe one or two signs that you'd say Ooh, a little bit iffy and I think one of them has to be Harry Maguire he did come mm -hmm. off now with concussion 
uh, once Iran got their first goal but if you look at the run he's just run off his shoulders and if that's happening against Iran you would have to ask questions about him playing centre half as the tournament goes on and what sort of a liability he is but I think as a whole Gareth Seke would be really pleased with the performance particularly with just the style of the play the enthusiasm the energy and the aggression that they had in their play and if they're to continue that into the tournament I would suspect that they won't have any trouble topping that group Rebecca Paul mentioned Jude Bellingham there and um, just the effect that he had in the game 19 years of age he did the a pre-match sit down beforehand and spoke with unbelievable maturity and, and one thing that stood out for me was when he was asked about um, Stephen Gerrard and how he's been compared to him and would he like to emulate him follow in his footsteps and he said he just he wants to be Jude he wants to do his own thing and uh, create his own legacy but for a 19 year old to one be able to speak like that um, to millions of people and to be able to carry himself like that but then back it up with the performance in the opening game of uh, a World Cup was really impressive Yeah it's immense like you, you say he's 19 he's the second teenager to score the World Cup after Michael Owen yeah. you know, for England anyway um, he just did not look out of place at all as, as Paul said he did look a little bit shaky early on which is is you know expected your, your first World Cup you're going to be nervous but <laughs> after he scored that goal you know he just settled right in he's he's so expressive when he's on the ball mm. he's, he's great at tracking back you know he kind of has everything that a footballer should be um, and he's spot on look he has to, to make his own name now it's, it's great to have the likes of Stephen Gerrard as, a, as an idol mm-hmm. I suppose to, to see in, in years gone by and hopefully he might make it a transition over to the Premier League to mm-hmm. Liverpool as well yeah <laughs> talk about um, yeah no uh, he's, he's fantastic and I'm excited to see him in the rest of the tournament Paul it was a great start for England at the game against the Ram but it was great for Southgate I'm sure I'm sure he's delighted to be able to bring on Grealish, Rashford, Foden, have them on your bench. But for Grealish and Rashford to score, that must give Southgate more confidence. Yeah, it absolutely will. And I mean, one of the criticisms that people would have about Southgate is, is, is I guess, his um, his slowness in making decisions and changing it up. And I thought he did that quite well. The game probably hit a bit of a lull in the second half and he freshened it up with the, with the bodies that you mentioned there with Grealish, Rashford. Uh, and Phil Foden I mean what options to have to bring off the bench and they duly delivered and that will that will do them the wonder uh, of God just with regards to confidence and, and competition within the side and they're probably going to be needed as this tournament goes on and I just wonder like the decisions that he made today Ruby to actually go with a a four-two-three-one was was probably different to what we've seen from England over the last while. A lot of times they've gone with five, and because Iran sat so deep, it was the right decision to go with the four. I think he's going to need to tinker as this competition goes on. And the reason I say that is going back to the Harry Maguire situation. This formation and that group of players will be enough to get them out of the group. But I think when you get into the knockout stages of a competition like this as with the Euros um, when they played it it's all about clean sheets and if you're going to play a four at the back I think you're leaving too much space in and around down the sides of Harry Maguire in front of him that he just gets exposed and he just he looked okay on the ball today when, when they were in possession but I thought out of possession he was all over the place I think he got exposed too many times and there was too many transitions where there was there was too much space to get down the side of him and I think as we go further into this competition don't be at all surprised to see uh, Kyle Walker come back in beside potentially Harry Maguire and um, John Stones to the other side of Harry Maguire just to give him that extra bit of protection and then they'll rely on the likes of Kane, Sterling, Saka to go and win them the game but for Gareth Southgate there's been many questions about him about his tactics about the teams that he's picked but I thought he got it spot on today 
Okay, well, he was doing media after the game. Let's hear from him. Yeah, to win by that margin, to play as we did for the majority of the game, got to be really happy. That's the way the players had prepared. They looked ready. We felt we wanted to be that type of team. They dealt with the game really well. It was a sticky first half, lots of stoppages, but we were a real threat throughout that. Our pressing was really good. Our movement was really good. You know, I've got to be very happy, but we shouldn't be conceding two goals in that, at that stage of the game and we'll have to be right on our game against the States so it's great it's a great start but we're going to have to be better Looking at the positives then a number of different goal scorers and not Harry Kane we've spoken before about the burden needing to be taken off him how positive is that for England? Look, we've got some good players and today they really delivered our attacking players looked a threat throughout the game our defence in their first hour or so really controlled the game controlled possession of the game and were patient with their build-up. Midfield were, were excellent, both Declan and Jude. And um, our forwards looked a threat, and that's a, a great marker to put down. What I particularly liked was Jack Grealish's goal at the end where Callum Wilson's on. He could have been selfish, but he was really thinking of the team even at that moment. Yeah, I'm a miserable so-and-so. I should be more, I should be, uh, more excited, but you know, I've got to keep the team on the right track, and we, we will have to be better. We're talking about pressure on Harry Kane. Like, there is huge pressure as well on Gareth Southgate, Rebecca. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think when you're leading England, you know, as a, as a manager, there's always that kind of media pressure. I think they, they build up every tournament and, um, you know, it's all quite positive when they're, you know, in the tournament and everything's going well. But once, once some, someone slips up somewhere, you know, it comes down heavily. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot resting on his shoulders. And, and look, as you said, look, it is just about keeping the, the team grounded and, and pushing forward. It's mad oh, when you think about it, isn't it? Like the finals of the Euros, semi-finals of, of the World Cup, and he's still coming under pressure. I, I can't get my head around it. People want to be entertained. It's called not winning. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, you talk about him bringing Kyle Walker back in to play beside Maguire and Stones on the other side. Who do you take out? It's Bellingham. All very... oh, right, a Bellingham or Mount. It's a very good question, Ruby. If if Saka and Sterling continue to show that form, I don't think you can replace mm-hmm. them. And Kane, naturally enough, has to play. It probably is Mason Mount. Um, I think in games against Iran you can afford to play Bellingham and, and Mount in that, in that middle of the pitch and sacrifice a, a defensive player but I think as you go further in the competition and play better opposition you need to share things up at the back so naturally enough it would be Mason Mount um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Bellingham come out further on into the competition I know that's ah, yeah. off the basis of today <laughs> I think if, if Calvin Phillips is fit I think he really likes that combination of Phillips and Rice protecting the back four Bellingham is much more inclined to go forward I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was to to maybe look at, at bringing that Well the only positive in. on that is that if he keeps playing well his value goes up so look if they start taking him off mm. and he, he stays as he is then he might be a little bit more yeah, affordable absolutely. for teams in the Premier League Yeah well that, that is true <laughs> but I think if you are to bring Kyle Walker in I think Mason Mounds is probably the one who would naturally come out out of that and then you, you have your, your five at the back with Trippier Walker Stones Maguire and Shaw that's how I would expect them in the round of 16 to set up OK well uh, we will find out in due course but at the moment they have so many uh, impressive players from today to pick from them and one was Saka who is only 21 as well these uh, young lads doing great things and he was uh, 
he was speaking after the game. I can't describe the feeling, you know, it's, it's amazing. I'm so happy, I'm so proud and yeah, we got the win as well. So it's just a really, really special day. Yeah, the message from the manager and the players going into this was that you wanted a positive performance. Just how much did that fit the brief? Yeah, yeah, we needed that, that good start. You know, obviously we didn't play the best coming into this tournament. So there was a lot of talk and speculation about our form. But, you know, we showed everyone today how much quality we have and what we can do. And how much pressure does that really getting that win on match day one? Oh, it's, it's amazing, you know, to, to obviously get the win in the end and put all the pressure. But we know we have to be consistent because we have the next game coming up in a few days and we have to win again. For you personally, given everything that happened last summer, you've had a brilliant start to the season for Arsenal. Do you feel like you've come to this World Cup in the best possible place? Um... Yeah, I feel like I'm in, a, I'm in a good place, you know, I have the support from the fans, you know, I really feel the love from the fans and from the coaching staff and from my teammates and that's all I need, you know, and then I, I feel good and I'm, I'm ready to give 100%, so I gave that today and I'll continue to do that every time I put the shot on. Another good performance from him as well today and for a young player, Paul, to be um, like Bellingham 2019 uh, or Asaka 21, to start like that will give them so much confidence. I think what's what's most uh, impressive about Saka is how he's bounced back from missing the penalty mm. in the Euros finals. He's, and he's, all the abuse that he got. He got a tar of abuse, yeah, as as did the other players, Sancho and was it Rashford as well, mm. the three who missed the penalties. So he's really kicked on. He's been superb for Arsenal this year and uh, he's really grown into that into that England jersey. I, I prefer him in that shape where he's, he's playing higher up the pitch. He has played as a left wing back for Arsenal or for mm-hmm. England, I should say, under Southgate. I don't think you get the, the best out of Saka in that position. He was superb today. I mean, the second goal that he had where he's just drifted in, he's, he looks as if he's got time on the ball and that's just a sign of somebody who's, who's got so much confidence in their play at this moment of time. Didn't panic, didn't... Um, I guess waste the opportunity sold the dummy to the defender and then just slotted away and his first goal was equally as good with the technique that he showed in front of goal and from your front players whether it be Saka, Sterling, Kane what you want them doing is, is creating chances being direct and scoring goals and I'm sure Gareth Southgate is absolutely delighted that Sterling and Saka have got on the score sheet today Harry Kane although he didn't score I thought he had a super game as well so if they can keep those three um, ticking over in that system Ruby mentioned Jack Reed from Phil Fogan coming off the bench they have so many options in that final third they most certainly have but Rebecca the great tournament even started yesterday afternoon with the tradition of the host being involved in the first game Qatar, Ecuador 2-0 to Ecuador didn't exactly make you think I can't wait for this World Cup <laughs> definitely definitely not I was only going to say when um, Marie was saying she's putting up her tree I said I don't blame her I wouldn't be watching things like that no, it, was, it was just one of those it was kind of slack you know and a questionable offside decision as well mm-hmm. Um it was definitely a game that, you know, it definitely didn't didn't grab my attention, let's just say. But look, Ecuador didn't look too bad. But again, when you're coming up against the likes of Qatar, it's it's not really a, you know, a good one to go off. Yeah, I actually thought it was going to finish a higher score. Like mm. after the opening, maybe 35 minutes, I thought they're going to put a few more goals mm. um, past them here, Paul. Yeah, I mean, the Qatar back four, back five that they played were were very dodgy and the keeper looked all over the place as well from from that offside goal where he's come out and he's completely fluffed his lines and that was 
sort of the story of the first half and once Ecuador nipped in front through Ener Valencia it kind of had the feel that they were going on and get three or four but they did enough they controlled the game I kind of agree with Rebecca I thought Ecuador were quite good I like Saicedo from Brighton in the midfield and Mendes that partnership looked really strong and Ener Valencia looked a threat all through the game I thought his, his second goal in particular the header mm. was, was superb you know to generate that much power and direction uh, when he was actually going away from goal was, was very impressive but it is very difficult to guess a decent read off Ecuador when they were playing Qatar like Qatar are absolutely woeful mm-hmm. um, you probably expected a little more of them coming into the competition I actually didn't realise when I saw yesterday that they were beaten by Linfield yeah. was it beaten or they drew with they, Linfield they had a tournament in Marbella, in Marbella and they had a load of random teams like Croatia under 23s Linfield I can't remember who else and when I saw that result I started to think okay these are yeah. going to be it was way actually out. kept quite quiet really like it didn't come I out. wonder why yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly but that, that second spot I mean you would imagine it is going to be a straight-off contest between Ecuador and Senegal to to get that second position. But um, Qatar, you would be shocked if they were to pick up a point throughout this competition. Senegal were impressive this afternoon or this evening. They played the Netherlands. They obviously got beaten two 0 in the end, but they made a fair game of it. Rebecca, yeah, most definitely. Like they they obviously left it late Netherlands to to get the win with with the Gakpo and, and Klassen goals at the end. But look, they held it up to. To uh, to Holland, Mende looked like he was a little bit over the all over the place for the, the two goals. You know, he's in no man's land for the first one. Second one, he should have just parried around the post. But um, yeah, look, I thought to start, or, you know, before this kicked off, that that Netherlands might be one to watch. But um, it didn't look too exciting out today. Paul? Yeah, it's it's. I've got kind of agree with Rebecca there. There was much talk or talked about Netherlands in the in the lead up to this game, and that was very much coming from Louis Van Gaal as, as saying they're there to compete and they're there to win. On the basis of what we saw today, they look a bit off it to be honest. Which on on paper they've got a really solid back three with Nathan Ake, Virgil Van Dijk, and Matthias De Ligt, Frankie Dion in the middle of the pitch, and then after that you're struggling to maybe pick up where the where the star quality is Memphis Defy came off the bench today and um, he added a bit more quality but they huffed and puffed for, for much of the game they they really struggled to get into into any sort of flow and it took up until the 84th minute before we saw that one real moment of quality it was a great ball in from Frankie de Jong and Gakpo a number of Premier League teams who've, who've been linked um, with him over the last couple of months showed I guess why that is the case he, he nipped in with a with a good finish and uh, that kind of was the springboard to go on and get the second but if they are to do something within this competition they're going to have to show a hell of a lot more than they show today so early though a lot can change in the next few days few weeks yeah it is I, th- I think just the players though like if you look at the front two that that, Tot- or that Tottenham have I sh- I sh- Netherlands have <laughs> and you compare them to the front three or four that England have like Bergwijn and Janssen Janssen had a terrible time at Tottenham he couldn't he couldn't score um, for love nor money and he had a really difficult time there and he had to get out and his career has, has kind of dovetailed off the back of that and he's not really shown any promise and the same with Stephen Bergwijn another person who had a, a difficult time at Tottenham and that's their front two and they didn't look like scoring today um, and that would worry me I don't think they have enough going forward unless Memphis Depay who hasn't had a lot of football coming into this competition can light it up in the final third for them Okay, we're going to take a very quick break, but stay with us. We're going to have more football chat. We will be talking about the Republic of Ireland against Malta last night. We're going to cross over to uh, Doha, to Tony O'Donoghue as well. And we have our competition and our rugby. So stay with us. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. We do have a very good competition for everyone listening. So how would you like to be in with the chance to win 400 euro? 
What about €3,000? Well, listen to this. The PwC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Crow Park, where the Players of the Year in all three grades will be announced, celebrating excellence in Camogie. The awards are all about recognising the country's top players. So we want to know, who would you make your camogie team who would make your camogie team of the year head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just for voting we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing 3000 euro all thanks to PwC we'll announce the winner before the end of Friday show but to be given a chance of winning that 400 euro today thanks to PwC simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your camogie standout player of the year is and why Include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. See 2FM.ie. That is a brilliant competition. Who wins, Marie? Go on. Put you on the spot. Oh, Give our listeners help. No, I can't because I'm giving away the answer then. Well, we had her on the show only a few weeks ago as the person that I think is a really good chance. Loyal listeners, there's your chance to get yourself €400. Exactly. Um... We're going to turn our attention to rugby now, but we're going to bring in Paul and Rebecca on this just at the top because concussion is uh, something that has uh, been at the fore of two of our main sports over the last couple of days. So in the soccer a little bit earlier on, the uh, goalkeeper from Iran was, well, how do we put this? He was definitely looked like he took a, an awful bang. He didn't look like he was really with it and he stayed on the pitch um, for way longer than he should have. And in the rugby, uh, there was something similar um, as well when we saw Nick White uh, been he was left on the pitch as well now since then he's been uh, stood down and uh, the independent doctor said that he missed the second uh, hit that he took and it looks like we have two professional sports here where concussion protocols still need a huge amount of tidying up Paul Curry uh, we're going to talk to Stephen Ferris as well but just to you first because we were talking about football there and um, the situation with the Iranian goalkeeper it was terrible Marie it was It was actually it was very difficult to watch I think rugby naturally enough are probably further down the road with their concussion protocols and being able to have that concussion sub and I'm not sure if that's actually in play for this World Cup but it was so blatantly obvious to everybody within the ground everybody at home watching the television that the Iranian goalkeeper had taken such a smack to the face um, it was it was a collision with the centre mm-hmm. half where they've where they've met each other face on face and he was down he was he was laid out on the ground for a number of minutes to get a treatment and I, I just I can't believe like naturally enough as an athlete and as a sports person you're going to want to go back out there but at some point surely a medic or somebody with um, a medical background has to step in and intervene and say no it's not good because if the game goes on for two more minutes and then there's another collision another knock to the to the head the, the potential damage that's done to the brain is very worrying so there needs to be there needs to be protocols brought in to, to safeguard situations like this happening because we're now seeing players and athletes who have finished playing sports the consequences that they're having from, from collisions to the head and football is no different in that, in that sense But Paul does it have to be the medic I'm uh, for the want of a better way of putting it I have six ponies here and I do not need a vet to tell me one is lame now I might need a vet to tell me what's wrong with it but I could tell you if it's lame so surely managers coaches in coaches in all grades and disciplines in up and down the country the world should be able to see if their players are concussed wobbly 
uh, we can see it at home why aren't coaches seeing it? 100% agree with you and there's enough monitors in the ground that managers can see it and what's even more startling is Carlos Quiroz's reaction while all of this was going on his hands were on his head when the keeper actually signaled that he needed to come off mm-hmm. that decision yeah, should have been made it, yeah, yeah and it, one it doesn't put much confidence in the substitute goalkeeper but also <laughs> um, surely he has to be putting the, the health and safety of the player first and, and looking after him because he's actually able to see it on a monitor back and um, like I'm I'm no expert when it comes to the medical side of, of, of sport or kind of day to day life but I could tell you there and then that, that that man was concussed and that he wasn't he wasn't with it at all and you could even see in his eyes when he, when he took the collision that he was struggling to focus and he had his colleagues and he had other teammates mm-hmm. the captain actually came over at one point and he splashed about three drops of water in the keeper's eyes and the almost said, sponge. like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, surely we've gone beyond we've gone beyond that. But I, I completely agree with you, Ruby. I think that decision should have been taken out of his hands. Uh, Stephen Ferris is with us as well. So, Stephen, the concussion incident in the Australia game uh, concerned Nick White. And it's quite similar. I think everybody could see that um, he wasn't right, that he had stumbled twice. And um, fast forward a couple of days and, and we're not going to see him play now this weekend. Does it feel like players have been protected or I mean I think it's probably safe to say that going on these two incidents they're not being protected um, Yeah well, well first of all this incident with Nick White it was clear for everybody to see and, and the independent doctors come out and said that he missed the, the second incident where his, his head hit the ground and, and, and that's fair enough you know when, when somebody's been given a um, you know having to go for an HIA um, independent doctors probably get themselves ready to go in and do the HIA and everything else the responsibility here lies with the doctor, the Australian doctor, who runs onto the pitch to treat Nick White. Nick White stumbles in front of him, sits down on one knee, mm-hmm. he's got glassy eyes, he's unsteady on his feet, he's dazed, and, like, if anybody needs to take responsibility here, it's the Australian doctors. They're the ones that need to answer the questions because it's their player, they have to look after their player, and I was just thinking about this when I was jotting down a few notes earlier on. We're going through this whole um, legal case at the minute with, with uh, former players who have had concussions, which unfortunately uh, they claim have led to um, you know memory loss and, and some other diseases that have, have set in. And you know, in 10 or 15 years' time, if, if Nick White suddenly becomes one of those former players, then he's got a great case on his hands here because he can sit and go, well, at the Aviva Stadium... I was unsteady on my feet. I was, it was dazed. There was definitely signs there that I had concussion and you let me go back onto the pitch. When are we going to get away from this? Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually infuriating. And listening to Matt Williams talk about trusting science, trust science, my backside. you got to trust your judgment. you got to trust your opinion. And these doctors, the Australian doctors, have got to go back and look at themselves and say, we got this one wrong. Stephen, I'm sure you, like I, I can remember trying to lie my way around concussion tests. I'm sure you did the same, trying to convince people you were all right. Players naturally, jockeys did, try to get around it. Catching people with concussion has always been the hard part. So when it's so glaringly obvious, it's disappointing when you're not caught, for the want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, Ruby, I reckon if you put 100 concussed rugby players in their room and all to take the, the same HIA test, that there would be a couple or a small handful that would pass that test. So you cannot say that because you pass an HIA test that, that just gives you the god taken um, right to go back out onto the pitch when previously we've seen that there's been stumbling on the pitch, that he, is, he actually looked like he 
probably wanted to come off himself. Like the, the Australian doctors or, or medical staff were giving him more time and more time. Um, and it was just really disappointing to see. And, you know, a lot of fingers are being pointed up at the independent doctor. But I, I think personally, being in, I've been in the situation, being brought off uh, by Dr. Mike Webb at Ulster Rugby uh, at halftime in the Edinburgh game. And he asked me a few simple questions that I couldn't answer. And we didn't even have to do any HIA. It wasn't. He, he didn't even. He said, "Well, we'll revisit this tomorrow. You're off the pitch." And that was at halftime. You're straight off. And um, you know, it's it's just really disappointing, and it paints a very bad picture for young, you know, kids who want to go out and play mini rugby, and their mum and dads are sitting in the house watching that and thinking, "Well, if they're getting it wrong at the top level, and many other mistakes are being made, made you know, further down the track." Yeah, that's crucial because behaviour at the top level does trickle down to the uh, lower levels and to the grassroots and all the rest. So first and foremost, the, the top level need to get things right. Um, let's have a chat about uh, the action on the pitch, Stephen. Uh, just your overall thoughts on, on Ireland's performance. Yeah, look, it was a, a game that had plenty of atmosphere. I was running around a few boxes at Dave Eva and you know, there was a few beers on board, everybody in great form, excited about it. You know, a game that was just going to explode into life and then the team got read out just as the boys were coming on there was no Johnny Sexton and then there seemed to be a bit of a lull um, maybe a bit of apprehension everybody thinking oh geez, you know this is a brilliant opportunity for Carly obviously but are we going to be able to get this match done and dusted with, with no Johnny Sexton and um, it just never got going did it it was very much like the Fijian game the week before stop start um, 24 penalties in the game 38 lineouts. you know, the ball wasn't in play for that uh, much time and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a hard watch. I suppose anybody who paid the, the entrance fee got their money's worth in the last six or seven minutes where, you know, both teams decided to, to get really stuck in and it could have went either way and, of course, there was a bit of a climax at the end so thankfully Ireland come out the other side but, you know, plenty to work on. Um, a lot of guys got some experience throughout the autumn um, nation series and, you know, I think the glaringly obvious um, you know, question around who's going to step into 10, for me it still hasn't been answered, even with you know, Carly getting a significant amount of game time. So, um, yeah, I think all in all, three wins out of three, Marie, and um, they've done very, very well, blooding a lot of players, but they'll be disappointed with not being able to put on a better performance in front of a roaring crowd there on Saturday evening. You said never got going Ben O'Keefe probably didn't help in that sense. He was no, very he finicky. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. You know, Ben O'Keefe, I was sick of listening to him and the ref, Mike. You know, I was just constantly, I was going, how did I turn this fella down? Um, and you were know, just watching the, uh, the the French game against Japan uh, on the Sunday. Andrew Brace, you know, was turning into a really measured referee. Just so, so good. You know, very calm, relaxed, you know, the ferocity around the breakdown, two teams going hell for leather at each other and he's just standing at the side and his heart rate looks like it's 60 beats per minute and you know, there's only 15 penalties in that game in total, free-flowing, brilliant rugby, a bit like Nigel Owens, if there is a little bit of, you know, roll away from the breakdown, just tell the player to roll away instead of penalising them and slowing the game down constantly and yes, we all know that referees like to stamp their mark on games but you know, Ben O'Keefe for, for me was... Was, was really disappointed and I thought there were numerous occasions where he could have let the game flow 
I'm going to pick you up on something you said about uh, the number 10 position and the fact that we still have so many questions around what happens if we have a situation again like we had on Saturday when Johnny Sexton is a late dropout. So what should happen now so that we have those questions answered? Do we need to go into Six Nations and give other people the 10 jersey? Yeah, well, Marie, I think... um you know, Johnny Sexton's only got a, a few more home games left of his career, you know, and uh, I was telling people that pre-match, the reason why he wanted to start against Australia, you've got Australia, you've got England and France, and then probably one or two World Cup warm-up games that might be held at the Aviva. So four games Johnny Sexton has left at the Aviva, he wants to captain Ireland to victory, he wants to play in every single minute of those games. Is that going to happen? Probably not. You know, there's three big games in a row, um, and Johnny picked up a bit of a niggle and unfortunately dropped out, you know, in the warm up of, the, of this one. So one out of three, um, you're going into a World Cup and you're going to have to win what seven games to win the whole thing. Um, so, you know, the chances of Johnny staying 100 percent fit the whole way through the tournament are, are, are pretty slim. We all hope that he, he, he's able to do so. But yeah, I would love to see a Crowley. You know, we all know Ross Burns kicking percent. He's ninety odd percent in the URC. If you're going to have somebody to come on, he's a bit like a Mornay stay in to come on and mm-hmm. knock over that winning penalty. He is certainly your man, and I think he, there's a place for that too in, in, in a squad. Um, and if Carberry can get himself fit, we'll wait and see. But I, I just feel that there's, there's such limited opportunity you now, guys, to, to, to give these, um, you know, give the, the other tens an opportunity. And with the two really big home games this season in, in, in England and France, for me, Johnny Sexton's probably going to start those. So, um, yeah, hang your hat and sex away. I was delighted for Ross Bourne, though. Can you think how long he's been in Johnny Sexton's shadow to trot on against Australia? Big decision to make and just takes the ball and slots it over. A huge, I don't know, achievement for him or not even achievement because he does it all the time. But I thought it was a fair feather in his cap. Yeah, it was, Ruby, and like he's come under a lot of criticism any time he's put the Irish jersey on. Um, unfortunately for him, I think it was before the, the 2019 Rugby World Cup when Ireland lost 57 points to 15 in Twickenham. I was there that day, it was searing heat, 30 degrees, and Ross Byrne just couldn't get going. And it wasn't just him, though, you know, everybody else got, you know, the, the boys got hammered by England away. Um, and that was sort of the start of. You know, getting itchy feet leading into towards a World Cup, and um, you know he played against England again, where uh, we got beaten as well. And I, I just think that he hasn't had a fair crack at the weapon. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe he gets another chance during the Six Nations. But as a, a reference there earlier, there's just such limited opportunity. And, and is Carly number two now? Is Carberry number two? You know, are we still looking at Frawley? There's just so many questions that are yet to be answered. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to even get answers to them before that World Cup uh, comes around. One thing we do know, though, is that uh, Josh van der Fleer is the best player in the world. Oh, awesome. <laughs> what a player. What a player. Um, you could sit and talk to you for 20 minutes here about Josh van der Fleer over, over the last three or four seasons. Um, you know, I, I'm sure him and his family, and I think everybody in Ireland are just very proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even having Johnny up, up a World Player of the Year as well, just shows you how far... Um, you know our small country has come, and um, you know fair play to Josh. Uh, his consistency over the year has been extraordinary. Uh, I think he's one of the best ball carriers now in, in the Irish pack. He he's just so durable. Um, I don't know how he does it, but after he plays eighty minutes, he looks like he's just you know he could play another eighty minutes. He's just uh, an unbelievable engine on him. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to the other guys. 
who were in the, the world play, uh, team of the year as well. I know there's a couple of Irish boys in there too, but what an achievement by Josh. It most certainly was. Stephen, thanks so many for taking our call. It was a magnificent Autumn Nation series. Time for another quick break. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. The World Cup is about to get underway again with the USA and Wales starting at 7 o'clock and it is on RTE television. Paul, I was watching a little bit of it there while Ruby was uh, yapping and I saw Gareth Bale and some of his goals and I feel like we've been robbed of him for so long because we haven't seen him. Like Some of the things he's done has been sensational. And those clips that they were they were pinging across in RTE were, oh were actually from the qualifiers against Austria when they won 2-0 and the two goals that he scored were sensational he's very involved in the goal against Ukraine as well that actually put them through so he's carried that nation for such a long time this is is kind of like the the last the last hurrah for for Gareth Bale in, in a Welsh jersey and they've they've done well Marie in competitions gone by you think back to the European Championships and they got to the semi-final Gareth Bale Aaron Ramsey uh, Daniel James Harry Wilson Joe Roden Ben Davis they have a decent spine mm-hmm. to the team they do have a decent spine and, and America are quite a young side and a bit of an unknown quantity so it's it's one that'll be an intriguing to see it play out but I mean based on Wales' performances in, in major competitions based on the experience I kind of fancy them there If they can beat the USA tonight they're obviously in the same group as England and Iran aren't they? That's the group there They are mm-hmm. Like get by Iran be unbelievable for them to be playing it just going out playing them for a draw to get into the last 16 yeah and I, I would fully expect that they would get out of the group Ruby I think they they have more than enough to, to get past the USA tonight and then they actually go into their next game playing around so there is that potential they have six points from six after two games and then it'll be a straight shoot off between themselves and England to, to qualify top of the group that's how I would see it kind of playing out and we all know the the advantage of, of top in the group the, the likelihood is that you're going to have a weaker team in the, in the round of 16 so I think the experience and the know-how of being in these situations before is so valuable to Wales and um, particularly the likes of Gareth Bale and he hasn't played a lot of a lot of football for Los Angeles in the last couple of weeks and months so <laughs> minutes he, I think it is there yeah right? he has absolutely been putting the feet up and getting himself yeah. ready for this competition I'd say that is probably consistent with a number of players within that Welsh team so I if not 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 a dark horse but if you were looking at somebody who you might not expect to get out of the group and get into the round of 16 I think Wales is certainly a team that you could you could lend to that sentence I'm pretty sure it was Aaron Ramsey that came out there during the week and said that uh, of course they're just when they get the opportunity they're going to go out and beat England and knock them out of the World <laughs> Cup so uh, they're going for it Rebecca yeah most definitely I'd say they're buzzing what is it 64 years since their last World yeah. Cup um, so I can imagine the whole of Wales is, is absolutely flying for this one and, and like the players like you look there like you've Aaron Ramsey Daniel James um, and obviously young Nico Williams as well mm-hmm. you know they've got a great kind of mix there um, with, with the obviously the loss of Joe Allen is going to be, be quite major for them he is pretty you know fundamental in, in midfield for them but um, yeah it's a very exciting time for them it would be fantastic to see them um, do just that against England but look we'll see I, I do think it will be a, a case of them um, yeah it's been difficult through. enough to to watch the likes of Wales in it Paul when as I said earlier on, like I'm watching Ireland Walter putting up our my Christmas tree and you know not really engaging in it. It's it's a hard place to be when you now obviously Wales have a lot lot better players, but um, 
you'd love to be there we're not and going on performances over the last uh, couple of days just the Ireland the Norway and, and Malta ones qualifying for a major tournament uh, it does feel like we're a bit off it at the moment well I wish I put my Christmas tree up during the Malta game Marie. it was <laughs> bloody awful but yeah you're right if, if you do look at even if you look at the clubs that those players are playing for or have played with in, in the last number of seasons they've got players who are competing at a much higher level than our own and even if you look to the bench and, and some of the younger players like Brennan Johnson who's at Nottingham Forest is a superb young player and we don't really have somebody playing in the Premier League on a consistent basis like he is they have Kiefer Moore who's playing for Bournemouth who's scoring goals on a consistent basis um, we don't have that strength and depth and we haven't had it for a, a long long period of time so it is very frustrating like rugby would be the predominant sport in Wales I'm right in saying but that's their national sport so um, you know football doesn't always kind of come top of the of, uh, you know, of the pile when, when it comes to maybe kids and, and playing sport at a young age. So it's very frustrating to see how they have been able to to put a system in place to get their players through to the top end of, of English football in particular and, and some of them dotted around um, European clubs as well, like Ethan Ampadu who came through at Chelsea. So they have definitely put a system in place that we've failed to do over the last 10, 15 years. And they would have a smaller population, but I suppose the fact that Cardiff City were in and out of the Premier League maybe there's more of a, a culture that is very true and Swansea as well Ruby have, have kind yeah. of dipped in and out of the Premier League and the likes of Joe Allen came through in those academies and they would have come through probably um, you know from underage systems and the likes of Aaron Ramsey who came through at Cardiff so yeah they, they definitely have a better infrastructure I guess that's what we're trying to emulate with our own national leagues and trying to get players through our own um, League of Ireland teams but I mean, we're a long, long way away from competing with the likes of Cardiff and Swansea. I've, I've been in both of those stadiums. The facilities are incredible. Um, we do not have anything like that in, in this and country. And quite interestingly, their CEO of the Welsh FA is an Irish guy, Noel Mooney, who used to play League of Ireland and was the interim CEO of the FAI for a while as well. So I just saw him popping up on the telly there as well with Tony O'Donoghue having a chat. And they're they're really turning over job. profits as well. Yeah. They're turning over profits. So that game is growing. And I think I read something last week where they were actually expecting a loss. But how the trajectory of the sport over the last 12 months, I think they had something like a three million profit. I think of the debt that the FAI are in, it's chalk and cheese between the two associations. Looks to be a good crowd at this game as well, Marie, compared to the Netherlands-Senegal game earlier, which looked to be sparsely populated. Looking on the screen behind me here, it looks like there's plenty of Welsh and USA fans in the stadium. Yeah, and uh, before the England-Iran game, there was ticket issues with people uh, not been able to get the, the ticketing app working on their phone. There was lots of people who missed the start of the game. It doesn't seem to be the case here. Not sure if it was the same with the Netherlands-Senegal game, but there was definitely teething problems. And, and looking there now as the USA team are flashing up in front of our screen, Rebecca, they very much kind of play second fiddle to the, the women's team over there, but they're at a World Cup. Yeah, exactly. They, they they most certainly do. I think obviously over there, the likes of uh, American football and stuff and, and the men's side of things seem to be the, the mainstay, you know. Um, but yeah, they're at a World Cup, as you said, um, and they've got a lot of exciting players there. Their front three and Tim Weah, um, Josh Sargent and, and Christian Pulisic, you know, they'd be ones to watch along with the likes of McKenney, who's at Juve, um, and Serginio Dest at AC Milan at right full. So look, they're going to put it up to Wales. You know, it's going to be quite in a physical, I'd say, aggressive um, game. They'll be going out all guns blazing, as as you'd like to hope in a World Cup game. So, uh, yeah, sure, sure, should, should definitely be a good one. Timothy Weah definitely wants to know. That's George Weah's son. No way. Yeah, ex Ballon no d'Or winner. So, yeah, <laughs> it'd be an interesting one to see how he gets on. I think Claudio Reyna's son, who plays at, at Borussia Dortmund, is also on the bench. But the USA have a number of players kind of in their in their early to mid-20s to look out for, the likes of McKenny Adams, Pulisic, Weah. 
could mm. you know it's, it's an he exciting he just plays better for the USA um, than he does in club yeah he certainly does mm. he certainly does he hasn't really recovered Marie from an FA Cup final he tore his hamstring for Chelsea he hasn't recovered from, from that moment but they seem to get more out of him Rebecca it's an early start tomorrow Argentina Saudi Arabia 10am before yes, Denmark and Tunisia 1 o'clock the lunchtime game you looking forward to it all I am, I am. I'll be trying to finish up. I'm actually a post someone, so I'll be finishing up early on at 10 o'clock, hopefully, <laughs> and in the door to just hopefully see Messi do his thing. So, yeah. Random bit of information. Uh, Rebecca go. often uh, <laughs> drops a post to my house. I do, I do. So Over I'd stand the... there in my pyjamas having a chat with her at the front door. <laughs> Come in for the all match now tomorrow, Rebecca, on I the will. way. No problem. <laughs> with the Christmas Have tree. The on. <laughs> anybody from Marie's house up is not getting post tomorrow. <laughs> Um, that's thanks a million it's been great to get it all um, to get it going anyway and to have that first proper full day of well almost full day of um, actions that will be continuing our coverage throughout the uh, four to five weeks that it is going on for uh, just on our competition a big thanks for everyone who texted in to tell us who their Camogie standout player of the year was now it's time to pick one person randomly and give them that 400 euro all thanks to PwC well congratulations to Richard Holden from Kilkenny that's a good hurling name who texted my standout player is Katie Parr from Piltown and Kilkenny she played a starring role in all season having come back from a very very serious injury we'll all remember that she's captain by name and captain by nature so if you missed out today don't worry because we'll be back doing it all again tomorrow and in the meantime do head across to rte.ie forward slash GA and get voting for who you think should make the Camogie team of the year and remember just for voting you could win yourself €3,000 that's all we've time for Ruby we'll be back tomorrow we will, Marie. More World Cup. Four games at the site tomorrow. Obviously, Denmark, Tunisia, Mexico, Poland, France, Australia is the last game. We'll preview that one. <laughs> You'll be riding out for Willie very early. Well, Willie Mullins will not change for the World Cup, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, lads. Uh, Better De Silva is up next. Thanks so much for listening. RTE 2FM.